Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. I want to welcome Vicky Howarth, who is the lead nurse for critical care outreach at North Middlesex Hospital and she's the trust clinical lead for organ donation. Hello Vicky and thank you so much for coming today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So let's take back to the beginning. Did you always know that you wanted to be a nurse? Absolutely. Day one. No, it was, there was never any other option. My father tried to push me into medicine. No, wasn't interested. I wanted to do nursing. I was passionate about it. Never, ever considered another career option, another to be honest with you. I think that's a bit cheesy, I know, but it's, that was me, really. I remember when I told my like head of college sick form that I was going to apply for nursing, he was like, you should definitely do medicine. And yeah. I find it really strange that people think they're the same job. Yes. Yeah, and why look, would you think that? Yeah. yeah. And we don't say to people like if they want to go into teaching, you should. Yes. Yeah. But if they want to be a police officer, why don't you become a lawyer? It's like very anyway. bizarre. So, no, I wanted, I very much the kind of caring, the holistic type approach to looking at patients and uh, really being hands on uh, from day one. That was it. Never anything else. And since you qualified, you did a year on a medical ward. We've had a big debate um, on the podcast so far. People saying, you know, if you know that you want to go into critical care or A&E, there's been quite a debate around should you go into them newly qualified? Are you better off doing your year on a ward or within kind of a different a different unit? Um, And you did your year on a medical ward, didn't you? I did. And to be perfectly honest with you, and this is going to sound slightly brutally honest, I never even considered critical care. I wanted to do care of the elderly. That's what I wanted to do. And I did a year in the medical ward and I um, hurt my back. I hurt my back really badly. Uh, and I was out for about six weeks and I went and saw my ward manager, I really upset because care of the elderly was the way I wanted to go. I really wanted to do the, the kind of whole, really moving people forward with their care and I just loved care of the elderly the way you could get someone who's come in and acutely unwell and really rehabilitate them back into the community I just loved every aspect of it um, and my ward manager at the time she was an ex-critical care nurse and she said to me Vicky your back is so bad I don't think that you will be able to manage the the physical load of a, of a medical ward have you ever considered critical care? Now, I'm not saying that critical care nurses have it physically easy. They absolutely don't. But she knew that there was um, a bigger staffing ratio to patients. And if I needed help you know, turning patients, um, moving and handling, there would be more people around. So by complete default, I went into critical care. And I have stayed there. I bet your manager now, a bit, like right from was like, I knew, I knew that she, I knew she was made for it. Knew it. That was it. That's <laughs> totally called it. So you've worked yeah. in intensive care, obviously. You were a matron. You've been the divisional lead, who's covered many acute areas: the ED, the ITU theatres. Mm. You're also a teacher on ALS, and you're an instructor and a course director. So I've gone all the way, all the way. Yeah, you've done it all. How's all this previous experience? How do you think it's helped you for your current role? So going back to the kind of default bit of me going into ITU um, the question you asked me previously was that big debate about should people go straight into ITU or or get a bit of experience and as someone who has made that transition worked in critical care for 32 years and has run more than one unit I can absolutely say to you that the more experience that people have under their belts prior to going into critical care uh, the better. It is a very scary place. There is a lot to learn. 
um, just building that confidence, consolidating all that amazing stuff that you've learned during your training. Critical care is not the place to do that. Uh, concentrating on your whole kind of professional persona, getting used to just stupid things like doing drug rounds, your communication with diff different MDT. It's it, just building up those relationships and building that really good communication skills you can get with your patients and their families. In a ward environment, I would absolutely um, ask people to really think about that instead of jumping straight into ITU. Now, as a, an ITU matron, I I did expect, it sounds awful, but I almost experimented and took a couple of newly qualified nurses into the unit and they didn't do very well. I have to say, and it's not because they weren't intelligent, incredibly skilled nurses. It was because that experience, they had kind of rounded off their careers, if you like, and they didn't stay. They didn't stay in ITU. And I thought that was a real shame. I felt like we had done them a disservice, which kind of scared them off a wee bit. So I would absolutely ask people to think about getting a bit more experience in a ward environment before they jumped into critical care. So I've, I've had friends that have done ITU from newly qualified and then you yeah. know their band six is kind of working towards their band seven now but yeah. they've really found it's affected their confidence at looking at jobs outside mm. of intensive care because they were like but I don't know you know I don't know anything else I don't know the other environments where I did a couple of years in the cardiac surgery unit in the ward in A&E and I found actually going to intensive care terrifying. It is. But, and that was with a couple of years you know I kind of knew what type of nurse I was you're right I'd round I felt like I'd rounded off my corners and I yeah and, and I even found the communicating with the teams very different yes. I always thought communication has been the thing that, that is one of my strengths hence the podcast um but I found the whole you know the consultant on the wardrobe going what's your opinion and, and yeah. never having been asked in, an, in, a, in a clinical environment before what's your view specifically on yeah. x y and z or can you go lead the family chat about the withdrawal of care or limitations of care or and I'd never been in the environment where the nurses had been involved in those conversations it was always the doctors walked into the room and shut the curtain and you hoped you could grab them as they walked out and go what did you say and how did yeah. they react just so you know how to gauge what do you it need when me you... to do yeah yeah what's the and actually I, I found that challenging enough and I think we're always in a rush aren't we I think yeah. I think especially nursing now it's all about what can you do what and I've been in a rush and I've done loads and I'm, I'm guilty of it too but yeah, I do kind of feel like having that time to, as you're right, round off your edges and consolidate what you've learnt within your degree. It's a lot. Yeah. We expect people to go from novices in three years to be registered and to manage people's lives, which yeah. is a really big ask. It is an enormous ask. And I, the one piece of advice I think I give to, to pretty much everyone I, I come across is, you know, I've been doing this a long, long time. I, I, it was my 37th anniversary of joining nursing three days ago. Congratulations. And, thank you. Happy nursing birthday. Um, yeah, 37 years. And today I will still learn something new today and I will learn something new tomorrow and, uh, and ad finitum. And if you don't learn something new every day, then you're probably either not looking for it or you're having a bad day. Um, it is a constant learning experience. Don't rush. Don't rush with your career. I've actually plodded my career and I've plodded through my career. And, and, you know, I've got this enormous portfolio of things. And that's amazing because it's just allowed me to just look at all sorts of different um, aspects of patient care 
care and um, experiences and, and I've not rushed not rushed any of it in fact I did three years of ITU before I did my ITU course and then I get nurses coming into ITU and right you know within the first week when can I do my courses <laughs> then you craft first do some flying hours get them under your belt then we'll think about sending on the course because it all all makes sense to you because you've got those experiences you've got experiences to back up you can share them with your colleagues um, during the course it just makes you such a, a just a more colourful experienced practitioner and that's what our patients want and need so yeah don't rush your career we've got the time (laughs) so what leadership and kind of management challenges have you found within your role wow lots so i have uh you know as we've discussed gone up through all the different bandings um so i've been a a a sister a senior sister a matron a divisional nurse uh and the challenges are vast they're not everybody's cup of tea and you need to really be cognizant of the fact that your communication skills as a leader must be utterly supreme because people t- hang on your every word and they will trust me come back and remind you about what you said to them you may have forgot a conversation you had with someone about an aspect of their off duty of their education their training their patient care and you may have just kind of glibly said it trust me they're hanging on your every word so be really cognizant of the way that you communicate with people, what you say, what you promise, what you can't promise. Be honest, because the minute you're dishonest, people will sniff it out a mile off. And if you don't know, admit you don't know. Um, say, you know, I don't I honestly don't know the answer to this question, but you know what? I'm going to find out or let's find out together uh, and be prepared to be slightly vulnerable yourself, um, because there's nothing worse than a ward leader or a unit leader or a divisional leader who promises the earth and delivers very very little or bluffs their way through things because it's it's just bad for everybody for staff for patients for families so i think as well doing doing shift work so much is reliant on as your life is reliant on the off duty and the rotor and the annual leave and the christmas requests (laughs) and you know i've had it before where a manager has kind of promised yes 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 don't worry it's all sorted or don't worry you'll be off or no problem and then you get it and actually the opposite of what's been promised has happened and particularly when you're in a very busy unit or you've worked you know you're working over the time your shift should finish and I think that's when people can get start to get quiet they can absolutely so you know there are pinch points during the year you know August everyone wants to go away on holiday you know all the 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 school holidays when all your staff with children will want to be off at the same time Christmas it's the worst people always say to me oh you're such a humbug why don't you like Christmas it's because I have spent my entire career um, having to battle my way through uh, a Christmas off duty uh, it's the winter it's always busy people are you know staff are off sick uh, it's just a nightmare so it's a me I've always said to people it's kind of been ruined, <laughs> ruined for me god that's a terrible thing to say but it's it's kind of true yeah and I find um, it weird now you're sat at home thinking I feel really bad not that I'm not at work and I'm like that's not even my job anymore like if yeah. I went and turned up to the university and was like I'm here <laughs> the students need some students <laughs> They'd be very unimpressed by that. They, they certainly certainly would be so yeah um it, don't be hard on yourself as a, as a ward leader when you first start doing it you will make mistakes you are almost have to make mistakes because trust me you will learn more through those mistakes but try and make them little mistakes rather than humdingers um um but just be kind to yourself kind to your staff remember these people are professionals in their own right so don't treat them like children um they have lives outside of here 
So you have to remember that you just need to be kind to people. I've always, people have always said, oh, Vicky, you're so nice and soft with people. But I've always felt that you actually get much more out of people by being kind, gentle, aware of them as people and where they sit within their families. You know, they may have enormous issues going on at home. You um, all sorts of different things going on. They may be carers for elderly parents. They may be, you know, have half dozen children or you know and you just need to be really aware of this fact and be kind because trust me when the chips are down and you need some help they will remember that and they do um so i've always been very proud of the fact that the units i've worked in the turnover of staff has been very very low because people have wanted to stay they've wanted to to, you know uh, to build a really solid team together uh and work alongside each other because it, it it just works it works well so be nice to people and within your your role as lead nurse for critical care outreach can you just explain what that role entails so we are uh, a team of 10 ITU nurses who don't work in ITU. We work outside of the walls of the unit. Um, and um, I've always said to people, we're a bit like the AA. So if you're on a ward and uh, something goes a bit wrong and one of your patients starts to deteriorate, uh, if your car breaks down on the side of the road, you call the AA. If you're in a ward and your patient breaks down, call us and we'll come in and help you. And we're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to help the staff on the ward to care for their patients, deteriorating patients in particular. Uh, and we will come in and we will liaise with the primary team. We will liaise with the intensive care team if we need to. We will uh, do a full assessment of the patient. We'll recommend treatment options, put a plan in place and then work with the ward staff to make sure that they're able to implement that. And we will go back and, and, and review it as we need to. The team are incredibly well trained. You can imagine it's quite an autonomous role. So these are not junior ITU nurses. These are senior band seven ITU nurses who have all got very extended skills. We run the um, basically the vascular access team as well. So all the staff can place peripheral inserted central lines. We run the tracheostomy team, huge amounts of audit, huge amounts of training. Um, we go and review all the patients who've stepped down from ITU the previous day to make sure that they are still getting the, the care and the attention they need. Um, we implement all sorts of different track and trigger uh, tools to help ward staff look after their patients. So news being the obvious one. So news two we introduced two years ago into the trust and we continuously audit how uh, the nurses are using news to their best advantage, how they're escalating care. We look at all the patients who deteriorated across the, the trust um, to look for red flags beforehand. Did somebody somewhere um, miss something that could have been escalated that could have prevented this and try and put um, actions in place to make sure that it doesn't happen? And I have to say the implementation of news too, but particularly we do it in this trust. We've implemented in the last year an electronic device to monitor news. And I know a lot of trusts around the, 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 the country do that, but they um, we've introduced it this, this last year and we've seen the number of deteriorations drop. We've seen a real increase in patients being reviewed in a timely manner and plans put in place. So it's, and a really yeah, good example amazing. of how that kind of hands-on nursing care plus technology oh God, can completely. really make a massive difference to to patient Absolutely. care Absolutely. Well. Yeah. You're also uh, the trust clinical lead for organ donation. Mm. I have, this is a bit naive, I didn't realise that nurses did this role and I'm, I'm not yeah, sure I'm that clear on actually what the trust clinical lead does. So do you mind just 
Of course. Yeah. So um, historically, nurses haven't done this wrong. This has been a consultant's job. They're either a consultant in the the emergency department or a consultant in um, the intensive care unit. So what the clinical lead for organ donation does is is basically the kind of almost, if you like, the subject matter expert in, in a trust for people to go to to help them identify patients who could donate their organs to make sure that we have policies in place, the procedures in place, that people are able to recognise when this happens, that we have the right resources in the right place for the right people to identify this. Huge amounts of education. Uh, And I have just liaised continuously with the organ donation teams, uh, NHS BT, NHS Blood and Transplant, um, to be able to ensure that the, the trust uses the resources that we update our information on a regular basis. It's it's an utterly amazing role. I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to be offered the role. I So the first week I started in ITU, all those years ago, I looked after a patient who was being tested for brainstem death, uh, and then we considered them as a, as a donor. And I was fascinated. What are now known as specialist nurses for organ donation, or SNODs as they're called. In those days, they were transplant coordinators. And, and in London at that point, we had three, and there is just huge teams wow. of them now. Uh, and a transplant coordinator pitched up to the unit and talked to me about the patient and what we could do, what we could offer. And I, I it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I, I had no idea how how this happened, uh, but it was just it, it was completely life changing for me. Um, and it's something I've been incredibly interested in and developed skills in. When I did my master's degree, pretty much my entire master's degree was based on different concepts of organ donation, brainstem death, um, how nursing staff, particularly in intensive care units, are influenced by the experiences they've had dealing with patients and their families in this situation and how it then goes on to influence them as practitioners and could ultimately influence how they project themselves to the families, particularly during request conversations. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. And I think as well, I think that's maybe not something so much that we think about as nurses, about how we project ourselves and how that is then noticed by the family members. Oh, hugely. And particularly particularly in intensive care, because it's when you have someone who you have recognised as needing brainstem tests, uh, and it's a, it's statistically, it's about one in 100 people who die in an ITU that could possibly donate their organs. So it's not a huge amount of, of numbers. Clearly, if you work in a more major trauma centre or a neurological centre where you get more um, um, a devastating brain injury, it's more common. But in a district general hospital, as I work in, it's small numbers. And that relationship that you build up with as the nurse caring for this patient, either pre-testing, during testing and post-testing is incredibly vital. And, you know, I've spent many, many a night shift just sitting with the loved one of a patient who we're either prepping to test, have tested or, or, or going through the donation process, just sitting, discussing with them about you know, their their loved one, what they meant to them, how they fitted into society, what their loves were, you know, to make them a real person. This is not just a vehicle for us to get a couple of kidneys and a liver from. This is an this is a human being with an enormous influence around them. And building up that relationship and talking through how the family feel 
particularly that night before you know they're going to be tested and you know the family are going to be asked because often pre-testing you we kind of know what the outcome is going to be because we wouldn't test them otherwise um, and that relationship that you build up is is like nothing else it's so privileged that's that's the word i used it's just an utter privilege to sit with these families uh, and to learn about them and learn about the family dynamic as well it's amazing and i remember i had a patient who um was tested and and they'd broached the we'd looked after him for a very long time he'd been kind of in and out of our unit for a few years and i and i remember they initially had you know were very hesitant and didn't want to donate he was very young and then they went to the canteen and saw a family had just been told that their loved one was going to get a, a kidney donation. Oh. They'd found a donor and the, they came back and said, we've just seen that we've made someone's life. They've made someone's life. You know, that their, their life yeah. has been completely changed by that phone call. And he was like, we want we want to do that. We want to oh, be the family God. that can. I've got goosebumps now. Yeah. Um, and I remember him telling us and, I, and I, my eyes went and I was starting to, and I was starting to cry. And he was like, but isn't this amazing that he's now going to do something brilliant? And it was just that massive change in a, in opinion, but by what they'd experienced and how how amazing that family were. Yeah, it's true. And the 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 thing that I think people don't realise also is um, a recipient of a, a, a new organ. It doesn't just change their life; it changes everyone around them so their friends and their family because people think oh you know they've got kidney disease they go for dialysis three times a week that's brilliant you know whoa we, we you know medical science isn't it brilliant we've saved their lives it's a miserable existence quite frankly you know they're tied to a machine for hours um a week they have to think about what they eat think about what they drink they are on different types of meds they have to think about you know they can't just be spontaneous and go away on holiday mm. uh, just silly things like that and receiving an organ uh, a donated organ it changes everything about them uh, and their families everybody and, and I know that from personal experience my my ex-partner got a, um, a kidney and it, it it changed us as a, a as a family it was utterly amazing um yeah so it's it, it's any it, it's an enormous thing that nurses can have a huge amount of influence on yeah and have you found that there's been challenges as the only nurse within this role other than being an utter privilege as i say i do what so i will go to um regional collaboratives uh when i did my training to um when i became a, a, a clod of the clinical lead for organ donation all the paperwork that was addressed to me was to dr howarth because they assumed they just assumed i was and then i would sit in the room with i don't know 20 other clods from around london and they'd go you're the nurse yeah yes I'm the nurse yeah that's me I'm that one um I, I do you know what I think it, locally it could have caused challenges but because the consultants I work with um who I have to negotiate you know when we're developing our protocols and things or if they've missed a potential donor They've known me for so long. They've built up a relationship. They know that I'm passionate about it. So from that point of view, it hasn't caused any problems. From a kind of national point of view, recognising a nurse, refunding a nurse because we're not paid in PAs, uh, it just hasn't happened. And my regional clinical lead asks me probably on a monthly basis, have you been paid yet? No, um, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it for that. Um, uh, but I think that's... <laughs> 
I kind of get the impression that, you know, a lot of doctors take on extra clinical leave jobs for that reason, because it's just an obsession of theirs. But for us nurses, we do things because we want to do them. We want to really progress um, what we're doing, the profession, moving things forward. So I don't really care, but it's it's obviously a problem. <laughs> and I think especially when nurses move into roles traditionally taken by doctors, there needs to be that transparency and that fairness, doesn't there? Yeah. They don't know what to do with me is, is basically what finance have said. They they don't know because doctors, as you know, have paid in PA. So, you know, they're paid in um, um, aliquots of time, basically. And nurses aren't. Right. So they actually have said to me, we don't know what to do with you. So, <laughs> oh, well. If you could work it out, that'd be lovely. <laughs> um, and have you got any advice for any nurse that wishes to apply for a role like yours or to move into organ donation or some sort oh, of leadership role within that? Good God, absolutely. So if you are interested in end of life care, uh, intensive care, emergency department care, and and you really want to be able to change people's lives and that sounds awfully cheesy again but it would be it's an incredibly important career to go into there so there are as I say the specialist nurses for organ donation um, and these tend to be about seven roles and what they do is they are linked to different trusts and they go into trusts when um, they have a potential donor they also do um, uh, an audit every month of all the patients that died to see to make sure that we have recognized and escalated um, each of our patients to see if they can become a potential donor um, so these tend to be fairly experienced ed and itu nurses and they are the linchpin between our families and the unit when that special request conversation takes place these guys are not only very senior at the kind of physical environment the testing the science behind brainstem death and organ donation but just think about what they do every day these guys ask some of the most difficult questions at the most traumatic time for families and they do it with such supreme professionalism and empathy and sympathy and it's just magical to watch so if that is you as a professional and you are interested in donation um, and transplantation, think about it. It's an incredible career. So there is also, uh, alongside the specialist nurses for organ donation, there is a, a fairly new role, which is a specialist requester. So these guys, unlike the snods who are attached to um, a unit and, uh, uh, and help uh, us to look after a potential donor, these guys, their one entire job is to ask that question of families. So once we have tested them, uh, once we've got a, a positive diagnosis of brainstem death and we've made sure that the family are aware of what that means, it's a legal diagnosis of death. So, you know, we could at that point switch off the ventilator, but we don't clearly. Um, their one specific job is to come in and then at the right time, ask the family if they had ever considered donation. What a job. What an incredible job. Uh, not an easy one. And every single family has specific nuances, um, specific needs. You know, you've got to think about they go and ask the parents of young children who've unfortunately died this question. I, 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 every single circumstance when it comes to brainstem death is tragic every, every time. 
the more intensive care that I still do shifts in and worked in before I came into lecturing was a neurotrauma intensive care, ah. Royal London Hems. We had a lot oh, of right. <laughs> brain injury. Biggie. Uh, yeah. yeah, a very big, you know, yeah, 44 bedded junior. And I think one of the things when I when I went there, I, as I said, I always kind of saw myself as a good communicator was I remember my first patient, we were going to brainstem diff and it was a very sudden, you know, patient had only had the trauma the night before. We were on the day shift, the next shift weeks and something thing I really noticed was we expect the families to get to grips with a lot of information in a very short amount of time yeah. that their, their relative was walking around going to work or on a night out or on the yeah. you know they were having a really ordinary day they weren't unwell and yeah. that's the thing with trauma I realized we've kind of got to get the families kind of aware in a really in a really short amount of time how unwell their family member is yeah. They might have never been in a hospital before. They might even not even know what an intensive care is. We've got yeah. to even prepare them for seeing their relative in a bed with all of the drips and the machines and the noises. And yeah. and at the same time, we're then saying, oh, they're very ill. Oh, we think that their brain said that. Oh, we're going to test them. Oh, we have tested them. And that is so much. That's so much information. Absolutely. And they are pink they're warm they've got an ECG on the monitor their chest is rising and falling they you know particularly if they've had an intracranial hemorrhage they've got no external signs whatsoever that anything is wrong with them and so you know it's important that we we really spend the time with these families to explain what what on earth is going on how this may have happened what the consequences are it's hard enough for us to teach some of our junior staff, our junior medics, our junior nursing staff about the concept of brainstem death, but to a family who've got all that kind of emotional stuff as well, it's unbelievably hard. And I, you know, I often find that showing them the CT scan, which it often, more often than not, is it's very obvious that there's something incredibly wrong with it, is often a defining moment when they look at it and, you know, you can hear the sharp intake of breath of, oh my God, is that going on inside their head? Um, it's, it's, something that has to be handled so delicately so professionally so incredibly carefully navigating the nuances of the language that we use and I've seen some horrific conversations over the years you know when I first started and you know you'd have naive intensivists I can't believe they used to say this so for theatre staff the organ donation process the operation they used to call it a snatch can you believe they used that language? And I once saw a father of a young, early 20s guy who'd suffered a, a trauma event. Um, and he was in the visitor's room. And one of the theatre nurses came in and said, oh, um, we're prepping for the organ snatch. This father flew out of that visitor's room and held up the transplant coordinator by her neck against the wall and said you are not touching my son now and you know it's it's that it's that kind of reaction it was just it's something that should never ever happen don't use the word harvest that's what we do with plants in fields you know in the in the autumn that's not what we do to people to human beings this is a gift this is a donation this is this is a huge event for this family huge and I've had and from working in, in East London you know with a really mix of religions cultures groups yeah. just a, re- a really mixed variety I think and when students write our essays about 
you know different cultures and different religions and we do scenario work in second and third year they'll they'll write like all christians believe this or because the patient is a hindu this means and and having worked in a, in a unit with such a diverse kind of patient population it's i really learned that there is no common theme that even if you've read in a book or a textbook or an article actually some people from this culture or religion or background might believe actually i've had completely the opposite 10 different ways every single person has a completely different view and actually the the, the religious kind of leaders links the, the imams the the priests the everyone any type of kind of spiritual leader that comes in and supports us particularly when they're the link for itu i have found to be amazing because yeah. That I've had them where I've I've had the family chat with the, you know member of the medical team and then the religious leader has come in too and we've had a conversation together with the family and the fact that they can speak from the same a similar culture from a similar background from the same religion and similar beliefs has really supported that has supported that process absolutely and and certainly we are you know there are there are as you say kind of his, historically we would oh no they're going to say no we don't do that now everybody everybody who can donate organs we speak to all of their families and if we don't you know we've really got to question ourselves as individuals um, and as professionals to say why why didn't we do that why didn't we offer this family this opportunity because you know like you referred to your family before they wanted to make a difference they wanted to change somebody's life and if we don't offer them bearing in mind the small number of people who can offer it then we've really not done the best by our patients and their families, have we? So thank you so much for sharing your pearls of wisdom. So we were talking about just before we started, whereabouts do you see your career going then? What's your plan? Uh, My plan, so uh, funnily enough, during COVID, during the first wave, so our outreach team, almost if you like, we got cohorted back into the intensive care unit. So for a long period during the spring, I became another, uh, another ITU matron. And um, you say that really casually. I just became an ITU matron. I just, you know, put on a different uniform. <laughs> that was my previous role here. Yeah. So, um, they've actually asked me to go back into ITU now because their senior matron has um, a, got a, a, a corporate role. Uh, and that's brilliant. That's what she wanted. So it's kind of left them slightly short. So I now find myself not only back running the ITU but also all the other bits and bobs I do wow. um, governance stuff I do because I do huge amounts of investigations and complaints because that's what I like doing so it, it, I digress slightly so at the moment my career's changed slightly I've just got more stuff added on I don't want to go into corporate nursing that's something I don't want to do I love patient care I love that frontline work constantly have an SI on the go where I'm literally able to just peel back the layer after layer after layer of what went wrong why why did it go wrong what what happened and try and, and make sure it doesn't happen again so I'd like to be pretty much a, a move into that area teaching is obviously a passion of mine and I've taught since you know I began my career and it's possibly something I'd like to go into as well so yeah I the world is the oyster you know nursing is such a diverse job with so many skills and it, pretty much you could move into anything you wanted to as a nurse and excel at it because we have over the years you just develop so many different different roles and different opinions and different skills and yeah the point of this because I can't I wanted everyone to be aware of what you could do 
as a job what you could be you know what that nursing degree or nursing qualification can mean for you particularly yeah. if you're in a role at the moment where you want to move you want to change you're not happy and rather yeah. than going I'm going to leave nursing don't because there's literally hundreds of things you could do definitely so thank you so much for coming Vicky it was so lovely That's to talk my to you pleasure. and you too take care bye